Welcome to A Disciple's Point of View, a podcast where we go over a variety of topics related to Christianity. Hello and welcome to this week's A Disciple's Point of View. Last week we ended with the uh, woman at the well who is a Samaritan woman. And we ended in verse 26 whenever... The woman at the well was like, you know, hey, I know whenever the Christ or the Messiah shows up that he's going to explain everything to us. And Jesus said, I who speak to you am he. So we're going to pick it up this week in verse 27. It says, just then his his disciples came back. They marveled that he was speaking with a woman. Now, let me preface this also. It wasn't until like, say, within the last hundred years that women have been seen a little bit more on par with men. And actually, our society is pushing for a absolute equality of men and women, whereas I typically tend to come from a complementarian point of view, that meaning that men are strong in certain areas and women are strong in certain areas. and We complement one another, hence complementarianism. And we both have different roles to play where you have an egalitarian position that basically says men and women are equal and they can both do the same things. I come from a more complementarian point of view. I believe we have strengths and weaknesses on both sides. Women tend to be great at multitasking. They tend to be more of the nurturing sex and whatnot, whereas men tend to be more of the providers, the protectors, et cetera, et cetera. This is not to say that men can't also multitask, that men can't also be nurturers, et cetera, et cetera. It all comes down to an individual point of view and an individual um, list of, of, of talents that God has given to each individual um, is not necessarily a corporate view all across the board that is true of all people. It's kind of like personality tests. It's kind of the exact same thing. You may fit into one area, but you may not fit at 100%. It's the same thing when we're talking about complementarianism. Now, that being said, um, women were very much seen in the days of Jesus as second-class citizens. As a matter of fact, they weren't allowed to go too terribly far into the temple without going too far into it. They pretty much couldn't go beyond the outer areas of the temple back in the days of Jesus. So that's why the scripture says here, they marveled that he was talking with a woman. So it doesn't really matter that she was a Samaritan woman at this point, or that she was any kind of class of woman. It was just simply that she was a woman. But the scripture says, but no one said, what do you seek or why are you talking with her? Because they knew who Jesus was. He's the master. If he's speaking with a woman, well, I guess he's got a reason to. It's weird, Rabbi, but, you know, I'm sure they're thinking this is very odd. So we'll pick it back up in verse 28. So the woman left her water jar and went away into the town and said to the people, come see a man who told me everything I ever did. Can this be the Christ? They went out of the town and were coming to him. So anytime anybody has a close encounter with Jesus Christ, I guarantee you one of the first things that are going to happen is people are going to want to tell other people about Jesus. Now, I've been a believer in Jesus Christ for almost three decades now. I will say, yes, it becomes like any other relationship. It becomes more work and more uh, discipline and more focus to be able to do things that you did initially at the first. And I know personally, whenever... Um, Jesus is talking about the seven churches in Revelations chapter 2 and 3, uh, basically giving certain characteristics of those churches of those day and giving certain rebukes to those churches of those day. 
But I think, and I agree with John MacArthur in this point of view, in that they also embody churches uh, throughout the church age. So you can find churches just like those churches today. There's another view, too, that it tends to show the, the progression of church history throughout the last 2,000 years. That's another discussion for another day. But one thing that I have always kind of in my latter Christian years have always identified with is the church of Ephesus, where they did everything right. They believed all the right things, but they left their first love, meaning they didn't do the things they did at first. It's like when you're in a brand new relationship with a man or a woman and you start dating and you're doting all over them and stuff like that. And you just, you can't wait to see them and you're writing them love poems and you're buying them roses. And um, you're just wanting to, you know, talk about them all the time. Fast forward, maybe 15 years, maybe you dated for five years and you've been married for 10 and now you have two kids. The things that you did at first are going to be a little bit more hard to do. You're going to have to actually purposefully think about doing those things because you've been bogged down with the things of life and the things of this world. If you have a family, if you have a secular job at all, you know that your attention, if you're a Christian, is kind of divided in a way because you have to go to your secular job much like I have to do. And then you come home and you start thinking about the things of ministry, meaning I do this podcast on my off time for my secular job. If I want to do things in a spiritual fashion with my wife, I have to purposefully sit down and do that. Whereas when I was first a Christian, I really had to purposefully sit down and think about doing these kinds of things. So always think about that. And kind of look for ways to reinvigorate your Christian life and do like the woman at the well did. Do like um, uh, some of the disciples did whenever they, Simon, um, not, not Simon, there was one of the other disciples, I can't remember his name at the moment. But one of the first things he did is he grabbed his brother Peter and said, look, we found the Christ. Right. So always remember that. Always try to think about the things you did for Jesus at first and try to make them as a forefront in your Christian life. Picking it back up in verse 31. Meanwhile, the disciples are urging him, Rabbi, eat. I guess Jesus had not eaten in a while, and it's like, okay, he needs to eat something in verse 32. But he, being Jesus, said to them, I have food that none of you know about. So the disciples said to one another, has anyone brought him something to eat? See, this is why it's like oftentimes Jesus would get frustrated with the disciples. He would be talking about spiritual things, or we could look at it from the flip side. Jesus always looked for a way to actually teach them about something spiritual. He always looked for an avenue, in, a, in essence, for a moment of training, an opportunity for training. And I know this from my secular job. I'm a trainer where I am a uh, uh, person who is in a secular position, and I constantly have to look for opportunities for training. And this is exactly what Jesus is doing here. So in verse 34, Jesus said to them, my food is to do the will of him who sent me and to accomplish his work. Do you not say there are yet four months, then comes the harvest? Look, I tell you, lift up your eyes and see that the fields are white for harvest. And already the one who reaps is reaping, uh, receiving rather, wages and gathering fruit for eternal life. So the sower and the reaper may rejoice together. This is the one thing that, yes, I, I have to say, yes, I'm guilty of. I'm not the best at necessarily going out and evangelizing, telling people about Jesus. This is the one thing that I have to constantly think about and constantly 
always try to look for opportunities to share Jesus. And even now, it's a little bit awkward because it's not as natural as it was before. It's kind of like riding a bike. You may still remember how to ride a bike, but you may not remember how to do the uh, the proficient things that you did whenever you're riding a bike all the time. So you're very rusty. You're very uh, not necessarily as good as you were before. But the fields are white for harvest. I know that a lot of people in society have probably anesthetized themselves from any kind of witnessing efforts, any kind of um, position where it's like, I want to talk to you about spiritual things. If people are not Christians, they're like, you know, I, I, don't, I don't need any of that religious stuff. And they run. I know when I was not a Christian, I was very much like that. I did not want to talk about Jesus whatsoever. But we need to still look for those opportunities. And if, if, if they just slam the door in your face in regard to that particular subject, continue to love them. Continue to model Jesus in their lives so that they can see your witness and ultimately glorify your Father in heaven. Not necessarily as a believer, but they may still glorify God nevertheless if you model the things of Christ. And never, ever put them down for being a non-believer or something like that. And don't ever expect them to act like Christians because they're not Christians. But continue to love them as though you would love another believer in Jesus Christ. Verse 37, for here the saying holds true, one sows and another reaps. I sent you to reap for that which you did not labor. Others have labored and you have entered into their labor. This is another uh, takeaway from this. So somebody may come along and you may just sow a seed that you don't see any fruit of, right? And maybe a few years down the road, another brother or sister in the Lord tries to do the same thing. And because of the seed that you sowed, they get to enjoy the the uh, the bountifulness of that harvest. They get to see the fruit of what happened. They may even say, you know, I ran into this guy on a street corner and he just talked to me about Jesus. And I really, you know, he got a few words in, but I really didn't want to hear about it. And that always haunted me, always remembered that. Or I had this coworker who just always loved, always wanted to talk to me about Jesus and I would push him away, but he would always still want to go to lunch with me. He would always still greet me with a smile. He was the most joyous person I ever knew. So, you know, that really made an impression upon me. So you never know what seeds you're sowing, even just by modeling good Christian behavior, modeling Jesus to other people. Sometimes I've heard it said, you know, um, at all times, witness to all people, and if necessary, use words. I'm kind of paraphrasing that a little bit, but at the same time, it is true. We actually probably say a lot more with our actions than we do our actual words, because if you're living like the devil, if you're a very uh, negative person, if you're a very vengeful and hateful person, yet you say you're a Christian, most people go, yeah, see that guy right there. That's why I'll never be a Christian because just look at him. How is he any different from any of us? And yet he's sitting here saying, we're going to go to hell. Okay. Yeah, whatever. Whereas if, if you do the opposite, you love him no matter what. And it's like, man, this guy is, he's, he's always happy no matter what, or maybe he's always joyful. Like my pastor uh, preached about today, Joy and happiness are two totally different things. In the book of James, in verses um, uh, chapter 1, verses 2 through 4, it says, Consider it all joy whenever you endure trials and tribulations of many kinds, because we know that's exactly what God is utilizing to build character within us and to build us up into that image of Jesus Christ. And if our coworkers and our friends and our family who are maybe not believers are seeing that in our lives, then that sows seeds that we don't even think we're sowing. 
Picking it back up in verse 39. Many Samaritans from that town believed in him because of the woman's testimony. He told me all that I ever did. So yeah, she's sitting here going, I found the Messiah and she's telling everybody about him. And in essence, she is spreading the gospel without even realizing it. In verse 40, so when the Samaritans came to him, they asked him to stay with them. And he stayed there two days and many more believed because of his word. They said to the woman, it is no longer because of what you said that we believe for we have heard for ourselves and we know that this is indeed the savior of the world because remember what i said about samaritans last week they they were like um half race mixed race individuals that weren't necessarily pure israelites or they were not seen that way because they were of those northern tribes the 10 tribes that were conquered by the assyrians around 735 bc and they never came back into the land the only reason god brought the kingdom of judah back into the land he said for the sake of my name i will bring you back into the land because he made messianic promises hence why jesus is now in the kingdom or he is in actually the land of israel at this point that we're talking about right here he is the lion of the tribe of judah uh the southern kingdom of judah was made up of two tribes the kingdom of judah and the kingdom uh, or i'm sorry the tribe of benjamin um in genesis it talked about for the scepter shall not part from jerusalem or i'm sorry from judah and in micah it says oh bethlehem uh of the tribe of judah the um there is one who will come out of you. I'm very much paraphrasing. Um, but basically those two prophecies right there is why God kept the kingdom of Judah back in the land. Whereas the Northern tribes, the 10 tribes that went to the kingdom of, of Israel got totally dispersed, intermarried, and they basically became what we call the Samaritans right here. And so they recognized Jesus was preaching to them. Jesus was bringing the gospel to them. This is an early indication that the, that the gospel will go to the Gentiles or the non Jewish people. In verse 43, after two days he departed from Galilee, for Jesus himself had testified that a prophet has no honor in his hometown. And that is pretty much because, well, they knew Jesus. They grew up with Jesus. And for him to say, I'm a prophet, not only that, I am the Messiah, they're going to be like, wait, isn't this isn't this Mary's son? Isn't this Joseph's son? He's sitting here saying that um, I and the father are one. Well, we know who this guy is, right? And so that's why the scripture is saying that. In verse 45, and this will be where we end it for today. So when he came to Galilee, the Galileans welcomed him, having seen all that he had done in Jerusalem at the feast, for they too had gone to the feast. So, you know, the gospel is being preached everywhere. Jesus is doing what he's doing, and he is preaching the gospel. And right now, I want to take this time. I've talked a lot about how um, if you're a Christian to model that belief in Jesus. But if you're not a Christian right now, I want to invite you right now to just sit back. And there is a segment coming up uh, right after this that I want you to really, really pay attention to. At this point in the podcast, I want to reach out to you. And if you have never done so, if you have never entered into a saving relationship with God through the Lord Jesus Christ, I want to invite you to do that today. All you need to do is believe. Believe that Jesus was who he said he was. He was God in the flesh. Believe in your heart that he died for your sins and rose from the dead. Confess him as Lord. And the Bible says that you will be saved if you do that. If you truly believe in your heart that Jesus is who he said he was and that he did exactly what he said he would do for you, 
you will be saved. It is simply that easy. A lot of people say prayer, prayer. And that's great to confess and put your mind and your heart and everything through a process, if you will, to be able to embody what's already taken place in your heart. By simply saying, Lord Jesus, I believe that you died for my sins. I believe in my heart that you were raised from the dead. And now I confess you as Lord. Please take control of my life. And I want to follow you for the rest of my days. In Jesus name I pray. Amen. That's all you need to do. And your life will change. Your life will change, not necessarily materially, not necessarily in terms of the world, but your life will change as far as your relationship with God. And you can know for certain that you're saved. The Apostle John wrote that when he was pinning 1 John. He says, I write these things to you that you may know that you have eternal life. Not that you can hope, not that you can wonder, but that you can know. Ephesians 2 verses 8 and 9 says, For it is by grace you have been saved through faith. This is not of yourselves. It is the gift of God, not by works, so that no one can boast. I want to thank you so much for listening to my podcast today. If you'd like to get in touch with me for any reason, I have the links for the social networks that I am connected on in my bio for this podcast. I'm also available at Gmail at DisciplePOV, that's D-I-S-C-I-P-L-E-P-O-V at gmail.com. If you have anything that you would like to convey to me, such as something you agree with, something you don't, or anything else, or if you did receive the Lord Jesus Christ into your life, I'd love to hear from you today and to assist you on your new eternal journey.